a handful of you will remember us from your time at Living Water. Is there anybody here from that time? Obviously, Ernest and a couple more. That's good. So, um, just bear with me for a second here. Those of you who were uh, there at, uh, in Blythe will remember us from our first introduction to you just before we went to the Philippines in 2005. So some of you have actually been with us on this journey since that time. And so you will hopefully apologize. My computer is choosing to be difficult on me today. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> I just had to get my notes up there. So anyways, so yeah, some of you have been on this journey with us since the beginning, in a sense. And so today, goal is to kind of give you a synopsis or a quick journey through our time in the Philippines and how the Lord led us to work amongst the Gatdang people uh, and get to the point where we we're, we're planting or uh, preparing the ground for the gospel to be presented to them. And we are getting very close to that time, and coworkers are there that work now. The Lord is moving that work forward, even though we're not there anymore. But anyways, uh, so we returned home here to Canada, to Ontario, in March. And we took the picture. So you can imagine coming from a tropical country to Ontario, beginning of March, hence, you know, all the, the cold places. Um, that was the best we could get for smiles at the time, but that's okay. <laughs> we are warming up, trust me, even though my hands feel cold at the moment. And the Lord has uh, been taking care of us and uh, going for us, preparing a place we are living in, Wasaga Beach, as was mentioned now, our home area. And we are settling in, getting our kids settled, and I'll give you a quick, uh, yeah, you mentioned Elijah and Kyle, and the main reason we are home is for our daughter, Hala. Uh, she has a genetic disorder called 22Q. And so she's 20 years old now, and we need to help her figure out what life looks like for her here in Canada. And we realize that we need to be here uh, permanently for her and for our other kids as well. And so this is where the Lord has led us at this time. But anyways, that kind of tells you where we're at. How did we get there? Well, as I mentioned, 2005, we first left for the Philippines, and we, our goal was to become involved in a tribal church planting ministry amongst an indigenous people group there in the Philippines with ethnos, but we wanted to be open to what the Lord had, right? Because this is his work, and he's the one leading us. So off we went, with four little kids in tow. These three that are with us today were not in existence. Okay, they came along after the fact, um, and they're all about the ages of our first four when we first went, so you can the excitement. We got there, and right away, we were redirected. The Lord chose to put us in a support ministry for our first year, where we were uh, what were supply buyers. We were buying the groceries and other things for other missionaries that were in remote locations, and we had a good time that. And then we moved to Manila for two years. That's a not-so-crowded street in Manila, just so you know, because Manila is a, pop, is a 
a city of about 20 million, so, you know, it, it gets crowded. We went there to learn the national language, to the culture, and during that time, we had some formal class time, and we learned how to get out into the community, learned to think and communicate as uh, Filipinos do, so that we can learn to understand them and, and communicate effectively with them. After that, in 2000, the end of 2008, the Lord directed us to our future ministry for the next 10 years amongst the Gatdang people, to the island of Luzon. And the Gatdang people, they're a farming community. Uh, they are corn farmers. You may remember us telling you this before. They live amongst the foothills of a mountain range there in remote uh, villages. And the Lord led us to the right people who helped introduce us to the people that we would be living with for the next 10 years and living amongst in the village of Parati. And those people there in the village of Parati became our Gatdung family and friends that we learned to really love and appreciate. Back in those days, uh, there was no helicopter or airplane for us to use. Uh, so we did a lot of walking. Some of you may remember us telling you before, we would drive for three or four hours, and then we would walk for three to four hours to get to our village, and you're all hot and sweaty and muddy by the time we got there. We did that for about two years, yeah, building our house in the tribe and, and everything, and uh, a lot of logistics involved in being able to do that and get us and our family there. Until finally our organization was able to get a helicopter so that trip that I was telling you about suddenly now became a 20-minute helicopter ride, which we were very thankful for when it was available because there were times where it still wasn't available and we still had to do the trek by land. When we were setting up in our village of Parati, we had to ask for permission to live there and to build a house, and so we did, and we had a lot of help doing so. And our home there in the village became the hub of all the different aspects of our ministry that we became involved in over the years while we were there. And so we were there, and we're living amongst the Gatnung people. So you may be wondering, how do you fit in? How do you blend into a community when you stand out like this? I mean, look at us, right? Well, you do so by becoming, becoming friends with them and learning about them and learning from them, and becoming very humble for them, becoming neighbors with them, as we did. And for Shannon, that meant ways that she could connect by uh, helping them in, with things like medical needs. She did a lot of wound care, wounds, hand wounds, cuts, those sort of things, including boils and some other skin diseases. And that really opened up doors for her to be able to connect with the people there. And sometimes it meant like, a bunch of old ladies. I don't mean that in a mean way for any of you who are more mature than I am. Um, would come up on our porch and they'd sit and they'd moan and groan about all their aches and pains. Go, oh, yeah, because you're in the fields for 60 years. But that's okay. But we were investing in their lives, listening to them, so that one day we could hopefully be able to speak into their lives the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it was about showing them the love of Christ and how we cared about them, especially 
about their spiritual sickness and how they are lost without Jesus. And Shannon really connected with the little ones, let me tell you. It was really neat. For me, well, because we're there for a reason, to communicate God's message of salvation to these people, I had to learn the language and the culture of these people. We had to learn about how they think and how they speak and what are they thinking while they're speaking. And it begins by working with some language helpers. And I was blessed with some great guys that were willing to help me. They were very patient with me. And they worked with me over the years to help me get to know who the gutting people really are and how they communicate with each other. It's more than just sitting at a desk with them. It means getting out there, going to, into their home environments, listening to them and understanding who they are. And let me pause for a second and just explain. I know you all don't know me very well, but I am not an outgoing person. I'm pretty shy. So you take this shy guy and you put him into a context where you have to actually get out there and expose yourself to them. And it, it takes a lot of effort. And it was only by the grace of God that I was able to do so. And God gave me what I needed to be able to do so. The desire, because I knew that there was a purpose in it. As I mentioned, the gut young people are farmers, okay? And so one of the best ways to get to know and spend time with them is to go out into the field with them. And that's where I'd find the guys. And that's where I'd get to know them well and learn from them what they're doing. And like I said, it's very humbling to become ignorant, like the ignorant learner again, and to allow them to teach me. And you know something that's so simple for them, like driving a single furrow plow, I tell you, We've never had some good laughs like that when they put the, gave me the plow for about five minutes and said, that's good enough. But they were very patient with us. And they allowed us to invest into their lives slowly, planting those seeds of trust so that we could, that would become the foundation to one day teach them God's word and God's message of salvation. And yeah, there were some serious aspects of getting to know these people, participating in all areas of their lives, including the sad times, such as this. Because this is reality. Some of you may remember some of the stories I told last time we were home about friends, good young friends of mine who were passing away before they had the chance to hear the gospel message. It's serious. But whether it was those sad times or the good times, celebrating births as well and weddings and birthdays and those sort of things. That's why we were there. During our time amongst the Got Done people, we were blessed with some awesome co-workers. It wasn't just us there. This family, Dennis and Valerie Easton, they joined us in 2013. They're still there in the, in the village of Parati, working on their own right now though we've had to leave. And Dennis is continuing the process of preparing evangelistic Bible lessons so that he can teach those to the whole village, hopefully later this year. We did also have this family, Danny and Philip Brooks, with us for a short time. 
And then Danny was diagnosed with cancer, so they had to return to the U.S., and he is uh, in remission now, and he's doing well. And there are others that are looking to join the team uh, to replace us. We're excited about how the Lord is continuing to go ahead and continue his work amongst them, preparing to present himself to them. So when, I, when we returned to the Philippines in 2016 after our last furlough, I went back knowing I needed to prepare Bible lessons. I needed to do a little bit of translation work. But all the guys that had helped me previously were no longer available. And I went back not knowing how this was going to go because I didn't know who I was going to get to work with me. The day we got back, I was introduced to this guy, Eddie. And Eddie had just returned to Parati. He's a gut dung fellow. He had been working in Saudi Arabia for about four years as a worker there. And he was home now, and he was looking for something to do. And so he was eager to work for me and help me with my lessons. And it was great. I could totally see the Lord bringing him home at the right time to help me. Because Eddie is a really sharp guy, and he's not afraid to correct me, unlike most got done were, and he helped me to figure out the best way to be able to communicate clearly what I needed to say. So maybe you realize that when you're going to be preparing Bible lessons and, and presenting the gospel to people who've never heard of this before, they have no real good concept of even who God is. How do you do that? You can't just jump in and read John 3.16 to them. You know, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, to the gut tongue people, who really is God? They have lots of ideas of who God is. There's been different religions that have come in and given them ideas, and there's a lot of confusion there. And why would he send his son? Does God have a son? Why would he need to do that? And what does it mean to send your son? Is the son important in gun culture? Which it is, by the way. And we're dying? Where are we going when we die? You know, gun people do have an, a concept of where they go when they die. Is it the right one? Well, these are things that we had to figure out and we had to be able to understand so that when we present the gospel message, we can do it clearly in a way that they will understand all questions that have to be answered. And what you, the best way to do that is to start at the beginning. You could think of it like a story. You start at the beginning, and in this case, the story of creation. And in teaching the story of creation, you teach God's character, and how he is the ultimate authority. He is the one his ruler, he's the creator, he owns it all. And therefore, he is the one who has the final say in it all. And to communicate that to the gut young people, that's what we needed to do. And how we are to submit to his authority. Well, then you move on. God created man. And God created mankind perfect, right? Holy, in his image. But mankind chose to to sin, to reject God's plan, to reject God's authority. And therefore, there was consequences. We became sinful. We were no longer holy and had to be removed from God's presence. But 
God had a redemption plan where he was going to send a deliverer one day who could fix the problem of sin and separation from him. We teach how there's three aspects of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death. All three of those are, we have been affected by, and God has a plan to re, uh, remedy that. And we teach through the Old Testament key stories, showing Old Testament examples of how they were trusting in God's plan, God's plan of redemption, to send the deliverer one day to deliver them from the bondage of sin. And then finally, you get into the Gospels, and God brings this plan to consummation, where he brings it together. Christ comes, and he fulfills God's plan of salvation and remove, pays the price for our sins, removes our guilt and shame before God, and restores that relationship that we can have with him once again. That's, that's the first phase. That's the, where we, how, what we are working on. After that, when you have a body of believers, then you can move on into discipleship, teaching them to grow and mature and to reach out to others as well. And so that's what we were in the initial process of doing. That's all great. And in Gatdang, we do have a New Testament that's been translated into the local language there, but we didn't have an Old Testament. So because we want to base our teaching on Scripture, and the Gatdang people are not just fluent in Gatdang, they're also fluent in a trade language called Ilocano. Well, there was a Bible in Ilocano, so we were able to use that for the Old Testament stories. But I don't speak Ilocano, but Eddie does, my helper, so he helped me figure out what it was saying in Ilocano so that we could make sure we could communicate uh, that into Gatun correctly. And he helped me with learning all the spiritual and biblical terminology that I hadn't yet learned. Think about it. We all speak in an everyday language, but when you open your Bible and you start reading it, there's a lot of terminology and there's a lot of stuff there that we don't use in our everyday lives. Can anybody give a good, real good definition of righteousness? The fact that God is holy? What does that really mean? These are things that we had to figure out how to communicate in Gatdang in a way that they would understand when they think about it. It was a long, tedious process of figuring out how to communicate God's character to them and his plan of salvation as it was seen progressing through the Old Testament. We began by establishing God's word. The Bible is the authority of teaching about his character and then how Christ came to fulfill God's promise. So that's what I was working on over this last number of years. Now there's something else I need to explain as well that some of you may remember. The gut dung people in our area, they traditionally what we would call animists. So they traditionally, in the years past, would worship uh, spirits of their dead ancestors, spirits of the forest. There was a lot of uh, that sort of thing and uh, sacrifices and, and things to appease what's going on around them. Well, when different religious groups would come in and present new teaching to them, some of it began to stick. And there was a cult group that... Uh, really got a hold in the village we're in. And most of the village people in our area were attending this church, as they called it. And so they say they're Christians, and they would go to church on Sundays and Wednesday evenings, and they 
but they don't really understand what the church believes there, this group. They just think, you know, to be a Christian, you go to church, right? So I needed to be able to understand what is this group teaching so that we don't miscommunicate what God's word is really saying to them. Let me give you a couple examples. This church that's in our village, this cult, they believe that God communicates to us only through a spirit that will indwell a prophetess temporarily. And then that prophetess gives a message to another person who then translates it. And it could be a message on how to uh, be healed from something or to go to another church to give exhortation or instruction or those sort of things. They also have a special emphasis on their Bible. Now, I mentioned that the Gatang people are also fluent in Ilocano. And the Bible that we, Ilocano Bible that we had to use for our Old Testament stories, they believe that Bible has special powers in it that they can use for certain things, like a uh, baptism of a baby or during a wedding ceremony, or if someone's building a house and they go and they can read scripture. Speaking of that Ilocano Bible, it gives special power and blessing. Does the Bible really do that? Other remnants of uh, this animism or this spirit worship there in their thinking as well. For example, when the, someone would build a house, quite often when they set up the poles and they were getting ready to put the roof on, they would kill a chicken or another small animal and put the blood on the posts in order to bless that. And then when the house was all completely built, they would invite this church cult to come in and read scripture and pray in the church or in the, the house in order to bless it because they felt like it would give good fortune by doing so. Other areas where we saw this animism still hanging on, uh, there was many, and this is called syncretism. You may have heard that term before, mixing of two different beliefs to create a new one. Death and funerals was another bigger area where we saw this, where a wake would last for up to a week before they would bury a body in order to allow the spirit of the dead person to resolve any uh, unsolved problems that he had before passing so that they didn't linger after they were gone. I mentioned that the church, that cult that we were talking about, how the prophetess would give a message of healing, has a very strong emphasis in sickness and death being the result of disobedience to the spirit. These ladies, the one on the uh, right there, her name was Lydia. After we returned in 2016, she started getting sick. And the last year, in particular, of us being in the village, um, it was she got really bad. And because she was a, in a part of this church, the Spirit was telling them it was because she had received a curse accidentally from somebody, and that's why she was sick. So they tried to take that and, and do all of this. But then, when that didn't work well, the Spirit claimed it was because she didn't obey the Spirit in some aspect of what it had said to do. And so she, then it said that she was going to die on a certain day. She didn't die. 
It said it several times. She didn't die. Then the Spirit said if she uh, did certain things, then she wouldn't die. She did die. Eventually she did. And in spite of all that they tried to do, based on what they were being told, the lies that were there, and she believed all this wholeheartedly and all of those that were involved in it as well because they were being deceived. That's why we went and we lived amongst the gut dung people so that we could share with them the truth of God's word and what God's word says. But first we had to build those relationships with these people and gain their trust, earn the right to be able to teach them. And my friend Eddie was a key part in me being able to prepare Bible lessons through, uh, and write them so that they would be able to understand. And the Lord brought other people along as well to help me in this process. Eddie got married, and his wife, Lonnie, she was able to help us in that. And their sister-in-law, Maureen, two ladies, very sharp, very smart. And as Eddie and I would write Bible lessons, these two ladies would read the Bible lessons, and they knew enough English that they could help us to understand what we were trying to communicate, and they would ask all sorts of questions for areas that needed to be clarified better. And then we also had this guy, Tiwong, and his wife. My co-worker, Dennis, he had Tiwong working with him as his language helper. Tiwong was very open to hear what the Bible said, but he was also very much caught up in what the was teaching as well. And so he was, had a lot of confusion and a lot of questions. But you can see that God is working on his heart, and we're trusting that one day soon God's word will penetrate into his heart and be able to break through that, the lies that have been built up in there. As we were nearing the end of our time in Parati, early, uh, the end of last year, and I had, I had written, finally gotten a the initial draft done of my Bible lessons, and we were hoping to be able to teach them to at least a few people before we had to leave, so that we could uh, leave for my co-workers to be able to revise and uh, prepare. So we approached this couple, good friends of ours, Amelia and Pasadin, and I asked them, I said, can I sit, come up to your house in, in the evenings and teach these Bible lessons to, just to get your feedback on them? And yeah, they're like, okay, let's do this. So we made a plan, and uh, I was going to come Monday to Friday from 7 to 8 to teach them Bible lessons for about seven, eight weeks, seven weeks. And as long as everything went smoothly then we should be able to get it done. Well, we're in a remote location, but we do have electricity there, but um, it does come and go, and so we have these power outages that happen quite frequently, and so those could be an interruption. The lady who I told you who had died, she, this time she was still alive, and uh, she's a sister of Pasadan, so he was being pulled away to the church sometimes to help with some of the rituals that they needed to do. So there was that. It's the working in their fields. But we figured, you know what? If the Lord wants this to happen, he'll allow it to happen. So we started. 
beginning of January. And we started teaching. And after about the first week, like I know these guys are hard working and evening comes and they just won't go to bed. So we show up and I got my pictures and my lesson and Shannon's with me and we're, we're teaching these lessons. And after about the first week of teaching for an hour evening, uh, Pasadan says to me, so why are you stopping at eight? We can go for another hour. Oh, okay. So from there on in, two hours a night and we were teaching and taking time for them to ask questions and we had to write down comments and those sort of things. So we were able to get through our lessons. And we didn't know if it was actually going to happen, okay? Because uh, interruptions. So we're getting to the last week, and this very last week is the same week that we're getting ready to move out of the village. So we're packing up our house, we're getting rid of our stuff, we're getting ready to send our kids out ahead of us, and we had a big party. And the very last night that we were going to teach, it had been a really crazy day, we said, okay, we're going to do this because this last night was the night that we were going to teach on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and present the gospel message to these guys. So we go, and Shannon and I are just beat, but we're like, Lord, you've got to give us strength for this. Okay, we're going to do it. And the previous week before that, things have been getting rowdy outside. The kids have been getting restless. They have four kids, and one's a baby, and we didn't know if it was going to happen. We get there, and we sit down, and I start working through my lesson. Fifteen minutes in, and guess what happens? The power went out. We're in the dark. Oh, great. So I got out my flashlight, and I'm shining my flashlight on my notes, and I've got pictures that we're trying to find, shine a flashlight on as well. And I just, well, we'll keep going. And she's praying. And she's praying, Lord, gotta try. Satan can't have control of this. This is it. We've got to be able to get through this lesson to present the gospel to these guys. Satan can't take this from us. So for the next hour, I taught in the dark. Okay? And as I said, it had been getting rowdy. Suddenly, Shannon realizes it's all quiet. The baby's gone to sleep. Radios and all the noise outside are gone because there's no power. Everybody's just quiet. The other kids are paying attention. She's like, huh? That wasn't Satan that turned out the lights. That was God that turned out the lights so that these guys would pay attention. Ha! Well, good. So anyways, I kept going, and not long after that, the power did come back on. We were able to finish our lesson, and we had a real good conversation with these guys, and lots of questions, lots of feedback on what they did and didn't understand from our lessons, and I was able to hand that off to my coworker, Dennis, to be able to uh, incorporate into the revisions. And we were trusting and praying that the seeds that we had planted, he will cause them to grow, and the gospel will take root in these guys' hearts. This guy, Seraping, he's one of the grandpas in the village. I love him. He's a cute guy. Uh, he's had a hard, hard life. And he lives with Emilia Posada, and he's Emilia's dad. And when people had heard that we were going to be teaching them these Bible lessons, they were telling us, oh, Seraping, he will not. He, is no, he has no interest whatsoever. 
From day one, Sarefin came in and he sat right beside me and listened to the stories. And as we would ask questions to them to see if they could re- remember what we were teaching and uh, if we were, they were getting it, sometimes he was the one that was reminding them of what we had taught because he was the one that was catching it. So that was really cool. And we were glad that he was able to listen. You can be praying for him as well that those seeds will also grow. To finish up, let me just finish with Eddie here. And before I say that, we can say that in the end, the work that God called us to in the Philippines, amongst the young people, the work that he called wife and I and our kids as a family, he accomplished what he wanted to accomplish through us. Is the work done? No. There is still work. The Gatung people still need to hear the gospel message. And so you can be praying for our co-workers and the new families that will be joining them to be able to clearly present the gospel message to the whole village and to other villages around them. And they will be able to communicate clearly in a way that will break through the lies and the barriers that Satan has put up so that these people will hear the gospel message. One of the really neat things for me personally was as we were finishing up, I had been, we'd been in this work for 10 years, and you guys don't know my backstory, but I, this is something that I've been gearing up for since I was a kid, being a missionary, okay? So here we are at the end of this part of our ministry, and I'm kind of wondering, will I ever get to lead someone from this people group to the Lord? Even just one. As Eddie and I were finishing up our last lesson, we finished, and we're sitting there at the table together, and I looked at him, and I said, so, what do you think? And Eddie, in his own words, clearly said to me that he understood that he was a sinner separated for eternity from God. But he was choosing to believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for his sins. And that and that alone was enough for him to now have a relationship with God and to one day see him in heaven. We are going to see Eddie in heaven one day. That's going to be awesome. For me, that was very humbling to be allowed to have that part in bringing Eddie to the Lord and him becoming part of God's family again. That was just, for me, that was just like awesome, totally awesome. Thank you. So anyways, Eddie understands now and he desires to have a relationship with God and he wants to live that out. So you can be for him as he grows in his relationship with the Lord and grows in his understanding of who God is and who he is in Christ, right? There's so much to learn about who we are in Christ. And Eddie is just beginning that journey. And you'll be praying for him as he begins to share this good news also with his friends and family. You heard the verses that were read there earlier from Romans chapter 10. Let me just read them again for you. But I want to add something. 
as I mentioned, there's a Gatdang New Testament. And in Gatdang, you can ask rhetorical questions, but in a sense, they're not really rhetorical questions because you have to give an answer. So this is how it would go if you were to translate the Gatdang Bible, these verses in Gatdang, back into English. It would go like this. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save him unless they believe in him? Well, they can't. Just does you can't. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? Well, you can't. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's just not possible. And how can someone go uh, to tell them without being sent? It doesn't work. And that's why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. You were just dirty feet. And we're thankful to be that. So that's our ministry amongst the Gatdung in a nutshell. Yes, our ministry amongst them is closing. Is God with us? I hope not. We'll wait and see what he has next for us. At this time, we are here in Canada. We're settled. Uh, we are officially actually on home assignment, officially until the end of November, where that, at that time our membership for the Ethnos will be finished. And I have already begun to work full-time as a carpenter with my brothers. And we are helping Hala work through the process of uh, being settled here and being approved for all the assistance that she requires or is eligible for and helping our other kids as well and just learning to be content with what the Lord has for us at this time and seeking him, being open as we've always tried to be to what he would have for us next. We don't know what that is. That's okay. We don't have to know at this time. Right now, we are where he wants us to be. And we are thankful for that. So let me just close in a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it back over. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for how you are going forth and you are presenting yourself to the Gatnang people. And we look forward to hearing about more that have chosen to place their trust in you. And we do. Thank you for the part that Huron Chapel has played in uh, or had in partnering with us to uh, prepare the the field, so to speak, prepare the ground for the gospel to be planted amongst the Gatang. And we pray that you'll continue to bless these folks and ask that uh, these words will uh, be an encouragement to them as well. And so we ask these things in your name. Amen.